0: It's a great joy and a great honor to make contact with you all, to be with you in a sacred context like the one that has brought us all together. Can everyone hear me back there? The more one practices yoga, the more one chooses to be in silence and it's harder to project the voice out there. But... I'll try to remember to do that. It's time to learn how to be in silence. I I don't think it would be appropriate for this evening to just be an evening of words. The time for words, even the most beautiful words, is passing. The time for gathering knowledge, the time for trying to understand what's going on in this world, intellectually, is passing. It's now the time be, to experience from within, from the deepest place, the realization of the meaning of all of this, but not from a place of theory or belief system. We're long past the ability of our conscious minds to grasp what's going on. And I wonder if you agree with me that every day this world is becoming stranger and stranger, Is that your experience, too? Every day, things are happening that would have been unimaginable some years earlier. And there's very little that one can depend on any longer in the outer world. Not even the weather. In Costa Rica, you used to be able to depend at least on that. But you can't depend on anything from seismic stability, or the level of the the seas, or the climate. Stabilization, or political, economic stability. The world is in a time of such accelerated change that it is unprecedented. Not only in our lifetimes, but in history. The amount of profound changes per day is what... A few years ago it used to be, maybe in a year it would happen, and before that it would be 10 years, and before that it would be a century before the amount of change that we have to somehow digest and assimilate and make sense of. So everyone's in overload, right? And the Internet just makes it worse. And there's no time even to read the few websites you may have chosen that try to summarize it for you. It's all out of control. And you can't depend that there'll be a job in a year or two. You, you may have studied for 10 years in school to get a certain profession and it's obsolete by the time you're out. You can't depend on relationships lasting any longer, even marriages. What's the shelf life of a marriage these days? Everything is unknown. And people are more inconsistent than they used to be. You used to depend pretty much that a person's personality was a consistent uh, fact, and now you see it's a variable. One minute they can be very friendly, the next minute they're aggressive, paranoid. And you say, what's going on? I don't know this person. We're becoming more and more fragmented. That's a psychological fact. There's less and less integration. Integration because we are so stressed out and so pushed to keep up with the wave of change that we don't have time to find our center anymore. And so we're coming apart at the seams. There was the famous poem by William Butler Yeats uh, already a century or so ago saying, the center cannot hold. Mere anarchy is loosed upon the world. The blood dim tide is loosed. And what rough beast its hour come round at last slouches toward Bethlehem to be born. I don't know if any of you know that great poem, but we are in that time. It's an apocalyptic time. It's in a time when the darkening shadows are over the world. But it's not a time to feel hopeless. It's also a time of great blessing. And we can feel that something new is being born, that God has some wonderful surprises in store for us. And that there are changes that can bring about a renaissance and a restoration of peace on our beleaguered planet. But are we worthy of it? And can we follow the right path that will lead us there rather than leading us over the cliff to extinction? Our fate as a species hangs in the balance today, not just our individual fates, that's always been the case. You could go to the pyramids in ancient Egypt and you see the picture of the scales and one soul is on one side and a feather is on the other. And it was said if your soul is not lighter than that feather, you get eaten by the crocodile god. You know, That's been there all along in, in every culture, this recognition of a final judgment that each of us have to face at the end of each lifetime of whether we have fulfilled our mission, lived up to our potential lived an authentic life? Or did we give in to the lie? Did we betray our spirit? Did we follow the easy path? Did we listen to what our parents told us instead of our heart? They may be in sync. Hopefully they are. But when they're not, we have to follow the higher truth. And how many have the courage to break away from the socially permissible paradigm and be different from the world in order to find a truth that you won't find on CNN or in the other media? Do we have that courage? And a space like this, a satsang space, is a place where we can talk about the truth. And there are truths a lot more inconvenient than the one Al Gore was talking about. It's an important one, but it's a minor truth in the spectrum of all the truths that are inconvenient to modern culture. And all of those truths are about to hit us in the face. We can't be in denial much longer. The ostrich methodology won't work uh, when the tsunamis start to hit home, as they are doing. And it's only when we have found our inner center and we are connected to the cosmic self beyond the individual self, that we can find within us a source of strength and of peace and of love and of empowerment and courage to face this unknown world that we're now in and to find a path of light and of heart and of love that will take us through these dark times into a new age in which our species once again unites with nature as a whole rather than being the enemy of nature and finds the sacredness of our earth and of our universe and works in harmony with the cosmic laws rather than at odds with them in order for short-term profit. And that system that allows us, even forces people to live for financial gain rather than the harmonious Joyous development of life is collapsing because it is at odds with the will and the purposes of love and of God and of truth. And we all know that at some level. But the question is do we give in to what seems to be a power that is too strong to oppose? And it is at a political level and it is at many levels. But can we find something within us more powerful, more wise, more real that can be our guiding light to take us out of this jungle that we've turned the world into and return it to the state of a garden that it was originally intended to be. And this truth of the cyclic manifestation of reality from the greatest beauty to the greatest darkness and ugliness and then a return. You'll find it in all of the mythological systems. It's in the Christian system, and the Judaic. It's in the Islamic. It's in the Taoist and the Buddhist and the Hindu. It's in all of them because there is one truth. There's only one religion on the planet and it has been true cross-culturally through time. This is called the perennial philosophy. And if you know how to decode the mythologies, you can find a one-to-one correspondence between the inner truths of Buddhism, for example, or Hinduism, and those of Judaism or Christianity. They are not opposed. This whole idea of a clash of civilizations or religions is a phony idea. It's just that there is a misunderstanding of those religions today. And because there are two words or three words, God or Allah, or Brahman or the great Tao, we think, oh, they're different philosophies that are opposed, but they're not. The more deeply we study these truths, the more we find that they are parallel, indeed congruent explanations from different angles, but of the same ultimate reality. The same as if you have 10 blind men analyzing the elephant, right? Everyone knows that story. One sees the trunk and says the elephant's a pillar. Another sees the Uh, the ear and says it's a big leaf. One sees the tail and says the elephant is a whip. Uh, One sees the trunk, doesn't see, but feels the trunk and says uh, the elephant's a hose. Okay, all of those are true. But the elephant itself is beyond any of the philosophical explanations, any of the belief systems. And that's what we must find now, is the elephant in itself, the ding an sich, the thing in itself, the real as it truly is, beyond the ego's distortions of reality. That's what yoga is. And the term sat means that. It is the actual truth of being, beyond all the mind's distortions and defense mechanisms to filter out unpleasant or inconvenient truths. And are we willing to purify our minds of those veils in order to not only see the truth and appreciate it, but to realize we are it. That there is no, ultimately no distance between yourself and the Absolute. The God you may or may not worship or believe in is what you ultimately are. Okay? That's what you must keep in mind. And, and we are alienated from our own self. And that self that we are alienated is the very thing that we're looking for. The very reason we feel lack or we feel like we're imposters, or we feel out of sorts and agitated and anxious or depressed or whatever ails you, it's because you're out of touch with that source. And so yoga is simply the method for reaching the source of the being that you are here and now already. It's not something out there or in the future. It's here and now. And it's only a matter of being present to yourself. In an unconditional way that will enable you to achieve liberation from all the veils and the bondages and the psychological defenses that have held us prisoner, and we can 't do this through simply theoretical means. we have to practice it, and this is where things start to go wrong for people and they say well i don 't have time i 'm too busy, you know or i can 't meditate, my mind doesn 't stop." And rather than training the mind and realizing that you are inherently the master over your mind, if you want to stop it, you have that power. It's a God given power, it's our birthright. But we don't take it because we're too fragmented. Our, let's say our egos, are too uh, filled with contradictory desires and agendas and fears to be able to have a consistent practice of anything, not just meditation, but almost anything in life. The psychologists refer to it as object constancy. We don't have a, a perseverance toward a goal. But we don't have subject constancy either. Because one minute, yes, yes, this is what I want in life, and the next minute let me get a beer and watch TV and forget about it. And, and these different fragments with different agendas and different fears uh, and, and different identities... Never get integrated. You go from one to the other, and the more of them you have, the more chaotic your life is. You know, so for five minutes you may be actually an enlightened sage, but then the next five minutes you're a drunk, or you know, you're you're in uh, what we call chakra two, and you're a sex fiend. You can go through all of these things in, in a single day, and not know what, who am I, right? And everyone's going through this kind of chaos. Who hasn't integrate these? fragments i call them egons sometimes like particles like protons or whatever and and they're they're little uh, mini ego structures that have their own little life and their own uh, consciousness and their own desires and fears and you get caught in one and you forget that all the others exist you're not in a state of balance it's like that's all the world is, and there's an obsession, and then someone slaps you around, and you wake up from it, and for a moment you're, a, you're an awakened being, but then you fall into the next one, and now you're off on a roll again. And, and you become unconscious, trapped in these little egons. So we need to find some way to integrate them and dissolve the ones that don't serve you. Because most of them come back from to, to a time when you were like three years old, when they were created. And these little bubbles are still there wanting mommy, you know. They don't want anything that's even available. They're living in a fantasy realm, and they want something that's impossible. And, and so they're inherently angry and resentful that the world isn't going to give them what they want. And so, the job of a yogi is to purify the unconscious mind of all of these little egons, pop the bubbles, and integrate your entire consciousness into unity. And then you find that, that the ego itself that contains these little egons is itself a bubble that needs to pop. And then you find you're in a, a more vast sense of being, which we call the soul. But even that is a bubble that you will pop eventually and then you will realize the Atman or the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. It's not just belonging to some god up there in some other realm. Each of us is ultimately the holy or pure Spirit. But we're in this little Egon that's light years away from realizing it because it's trapped with its blinders. And so a satsang like this is an opportunity to take the blinders off and ask yourself the question of, who am I really? When I'm not trapped in one of these obsessive trains of thought or desire or emotion, when I'm not on the roller coaster, when I'm in the gap that does happen between one or another of these little ego states, when I'm liberated temporarily, what does that feel like? And it's in that state, when you're not trapped in one of these little egons, that you have some measure of free will. And it's at that point that you can choose to change your life and not be controlled by these ego fragments. And meditation is a time when we get into that state of consciousness that's in the gap between these controlling entities and we have the power to surrender them to the supreme level of consciousness, our own supreme being. And when we offer them up, they'll dissolve and the energy that was trapped in them will now be available to give us more free will, more empowerment. And so the more of these that we dissolve and surrender to the ultimate consciousness that we have the potential to manifest, the more that being begins to emerge in our consciousness as ourselves. This is what in in Christianity is called theosis, when we realize that we do have the potential to be one with God, and we manifest that potential. This is the reason for our being here. And Christ said it very often, it's in the Catechism, God became man so that man can become God. Not just to be a worshiper or think of yourself as a sinner or become an atheist and not even believe that there's anything out there, but to realize your potential. And our approach here is to do it scientifically. And that's why we've chosen yoga as a model rather than a religion. Yoga is not a religion. It's a method. It has the same information as every religion has, but it's not put in a mythological Format that you got to decode like a dream. No, it's straight information. It's science. It's the original science of consciousness. And the yogis who were great sages who worked this out thousands of years ago have handed this information down from teacher to student. And there's an unbroken chain that goes back thousands of years. But the yogis also moved around the world and established the different religious uh, traditions. Christ was a yogi. Buddha was a yogi. All of these people. Yogi means someone who's in union with God. That's all. The word yoga means is union. And so those beings have moved into all cultures in order to give this information. So everybody has it. But for in the Middle Ages, it was called alchemy or Kabbalah or it was given other esoteric names. But when you analyze them, they all come down to being the same truth. But let's put it into practice and not just study it and talk about it and uh, make it into some intellectual exercise. Because at the end, when we have to face that supreme being and, and, and we are questioned as to whether we made it real in our lives here, we, we can't say, well, I read a lot of books, you know, or I studied a lot, or "I even I gave a lot of money to a group that was doing it. You've know? you got to do it. You've got to realize who you are to graduate from this school that life on earth is. Because there are higher levels that are even more blissful and beautiful than this one. So let's not settle for this. Let's find out what reality really is. Because it's the most exciting thing you can do. is to, be to become the observer of your consciousness rather than identified with it and trapped by it. Okay? That's when your life gets interesting. It's a lot more interesting than anything on television or anything Hollywood is producing these days because you will find that the intelligence that is operating deep within you is infinite. And the empowerment and the clarity and the, the bliss of pure divine love that will move through you Is a thrill beyond any you'll get from any drug or any other kind of experience. Why cheat yourself of that? Why go to the copies, the imitation version of bliss, when you can have the real thing? And these days, it's no longer a luxury. You need this to survive. (laughs) because the world is now testing us to the utmost. And if we do not have the intelligence and the fearlessness, the courage to face what we will all have to face, uh, we'll be devastated. And so our community and our school exists to support you in your own search to find the inner truth and the inner power of your being. And the teachers and the fellow students are people who are on the path with you, who know the difficulties, who won't be judgmental, who won't laugh at you or think you're weird like everyone else out there probably will, uh, and who will have the wisdom of their own experience because, okay, they got through that one, they're on the next one now, and they can give you help from their position. But humbly, modestly, because we're all on the path and we're all doing this together as brothers and sisters serving the Most High. No one is doing this from a position of a know-it-all. We're all in that position of serving and of learning. And it's a very steep learning curve. But the more you learn, the more you have to give, and the more you have to give, the more is given to you in order to teach it. And so I recommend that you come here and not just become a student even, but get in the teacher training track and start sharing it and helping other people, and you'll be given more, and your own work will accelerate. And all of us have the God-given right and power to be transmitters of divine energy, not just receivers. It's wonderful to be a receiver, but it's even more blessed to be a transmitter. And because this approach is scientific and it's not based on belief in some sacred book, it's not based on belief in what anyone told you, but on your own experience, you can back this up as something that is very scientific. This whole idea of there being a split between science and spirituality is a false idea. And the more anyone studies quantum physics or biology or any of the other sciences, the more you know that they are now leading straight to the same insights. Of the interconnection of all beings, of the fact that time and space are merely limited illusions. That there are a lot more universes than this one. That, that every elementary particle even is connected to everything else in the universe and that behind it all is a quantum wave which is made up of consciousness, intelligence. And that wave has now collapsed in a certain form that gives us the illusion that there's a physical world here. But it is purely maya, as the yogis called it thousands of years ago. It's an illusion, and when our consciousness changes and reopens the potential of the quantum wave, this world will change. We call that miracles, but it's actually science. And it's backed up now by the leading intelligences in the scientific world. And they're mind-boggled by it. They don't want to believe it, but the the equations prove it. It's there, and so we study that here. We we study all of the sciences and how they are leading to the same paradigm as the religions. And we study psychology and all of the different schools of psychoanalysis, Jungian analysis, transpersonal psychology. Because they too now are in very great alignment with the spiritual traditions. But because it's put in a scientific um, paradigm, it's much easier for the modern mind to grasp and to digest. And so our approach is that. And we study all of the different theories and paradigms and you don't have to believe any of them. Try it. See if it fits your own experience and then grow from that. Because we're here to become more free, not to become more rigid. And so in this school, there's nothing will be imposed on you, but teachings will be offered to you to read them and and to decide, does it make sense? And one of the things that we do in our inner work here is to study our own dreams. Because dreams are messages that aren't artificially created by human beings. They are gifts from God. When you have a dream at night, it's a love letter from that supreme intelligence. But you have to know how to read it. And it's in code. It's in a a beautiful, poetic form of images that you may think, well, this doesn't mean anything, and throw it out as if it were garbage. Modern uh, people don't recognize the power of dreams. But if you go in the Bible, you'll see they value dreams. You know, Joseph, the dream interpreter, was one of the most famous figures. And in all of the ancient traditions, dreams are valued as messages that can put us back on the right track when we've gone off course. And so here, that's one of the the things that we study. And you'll find that when you enter into a path like this, you'll start to have more dreams. And dreams that come from higher levels of the superconscious, archetypal dreams, for example, as Carl Jung used to call. And these dreams will help you understand what the blocks, the obstacles, the resistances, the anger, the hatred, all of that is about. So that you come to a state of very clear self-understanding. And that enables you to free yourself from the inner feelings that have weighed you down like a, like a heavy weight. And when you're free of that, you will find that you become physically more healthy. And and although, as Radha said, we do center on understanding the mind, the soul, the spirit, we also encourage people to lead a very healthy lifestyle and a healthy diet uh, and a a non-violent attitude and to live in, in, in a virtuous way because that produces the best karma. The best feedback from the universe will come if you're putting out the best energy. And the more that you live in a way that is clear and true and honest and and with goodness and benevolence, the more blessings you will receive, the more miracles will come into your life, the more doors will open that will enable you to change your life in extraordinary ways that you could never have predicted. Because this is all a miracle. But our minds have to invite that supreme intelligence to offer us the kinds of experiences that we are ready to accept. And if your mind is cynical and negative and all of that, it won't accept angelic visitations. It won't accept the most beautiful visions and and divine energy. It'll reject it. And so it won't be given. And and then that'll confirm you in your cynicism and say, see, there's nothing there. But actually it was a self-fulfilling prophecy. Okay? Because God will give you what you want. And if you're putting out the energy, now the world is negative, you're saying that's what you want. So it's very important not to fall into cynicism and negativity and despair. Especially as the world darkens, not to lose sight that there's a new dawn that's about to come. And the more that we can create a community in which we learn that we can trust one another, we can depend on each other to be there, uh, we can begin to build the new world now, not wait. But we have to do it through coming together, a communion, a holy communion of beings who are here for the highest purpose. And it doesn't matter if you're from a different religious background. The point is, it's all the same. It is your intention of love, and of giving, of generosity of spirit, nobility of spirit, of living in truth and virtue. That's all. No matter what religion you're from, they all teach that. It's the mistaken distortions of religion that have led to jihad and to crusade ideas and to uh, violence and war. But if you go to the original meaning of those terms even, a jihad was a war against your ego on behalf of God. It was an inner battle. Same as the Bhagavad-gita in Hinduism, there's a battle, but it's not an outer battle that's being promoted. It's the war against your own negativity, against your own blindness, your own inability to love. That's what's being fought. That's what's being encouraged to overcome. Not other people. If you're angry at other people, it's a projection of anger at something within yourself that you can't stand, right? That's the problem. And so we have to stop projecting it out, bring those feelings back in and defeat them internally. Not attack someone externally. But learning to do that is a huge transformation. We have the habit of projecting on each other. We even marry people so we can project on them. That's usually what marriage is. It's a mutual projection agreement. I'll be your toxic waste dump, you'll be mine, you know? And, and then it gets so much that neither party can contain it anymore and then the kids get it dumped on them, you know? And then it gets passed on from generation to generation and now it's gotten unbearable. And there's very little love left in the world because it's been used up and the ego's running on empty. And then it has to prop itself up with alcohol and drugs and more brutality and hatred and projection to survive. And we become psychic vampires and suck the life out of other people so we can keep going. We see that all over the place, but what are we gonna do about it? We have to become role models of a healthy, beautiful, sacred way of living. That's what we're here to teach. And that's why we offer this as a free school. It's a gift. Because we will benefit. The ones giving it will get the benefit of it. And I hope you will join us in receiving and then becoming a giver. And let's share this. We are not here to make money out of it. We're not here to get recruits. We want people who want to be leaders and to help lead the world into a new beautiful age of love and light and truth. So I invite you to join us in that and participate to whatever extent you wish, to learn whatever skills that you feel you can get to help other people. We want to train spiritual counselors and guides here to help other people. But we also need people willing to do gardening on the ashram because we're going to need to raise our own food soon, people. I hope you realize that. Uh, Life is going to change very drastically soon. And if you're depending on Issei and you're depending on uh, food being brought from all over the world and that Mas Promenos will always be well stocked, think again. Life is changing. We need to prepare and be ahead of the curve. And it takes years to get prepared for the kinds of changes that are coming. So our community is doing its best to prepare, but we're short of people helping Lending a hand to build this Noah's Ark that will survive the floods that are coming. But we need to do that. And so if you've got another ark, fine, go to it. We'll support you in building that. But if you don't, you're invited to join this one. There's still room. But it'll fill up soon. Because people are starting to wake up and realize it's necessary. We need to do this. We can't go on the way we've been living. So the problem is this within all of these egons that we have, all these little psychological fragments, there isn't a fragment of a liberated being. We don't have a model, we don't have anywhere to fit this information. Where do I put this? And if you don't have a place to put this information, you'll forget it the minute you walk out of here. Those egons will take over and uh, the next thing is, where to, where's the next bar I'm going to go to or... You know, I'm going to get into a family fight, or I've got to do this or that, and I've got to pick up these groceries, and soon you're in the banal, mundane world again, and this was all just abstraction, and what was that guy talking about again? You know, And it's over. It's very easy to lose this. It's a very slippery information, because your ego doesn't even want it. It's very inconvenient. It means you'll change your life. If you really take this in, your life as an ego is over. That's why the religions have always said it's about death and rebirth, right? That's what the baptism is about. But are you willing to baptize yourself in the fire of spirit and dissolve the ego and be reborn at a higher level of consciousness? Or does that ego want to insist that its own drives and demands are going to be met and you'll forget about this? And you can forget. You can go into denial. It's very easy. I hope you don't. But in order to hold on to this information, you've got to have a place to keep it safe. And that means you have to create an ego fragment that believes that it is spiritual. Okay? This is what uh, a, 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 a theorist called, named Judith Butler called the performativity paradox. And and, uh, Pascal used this also in his Christian meditations. And the idea is, if you don't feel like you're holy and pure and liberated and and a saint or a sage now, pretend you are. And and don't think, oh, that's dishonest. Because by pretending, you're actually creating an ego fragment that believes it, that is acting it out, and that acting becomes more and more authentic the more that you put on the act until it actually is second nature. And the point is, you're already an actor. You're already pretending to be somebody you really aren't. Your ego is an imposter. But why be an imposter of a sinner and a loser and somebody who is you know, an addict or depressed or whatever you're pretending to be, instead of pretending to be the great sage, saint, liberator, avatar, to use what's now a popular term, And why not be that? That God's will wishes you to be anyway. As long as you're pretending in any case. And the point is that you're pretending to be something you really are. That's the great joke of it. (laughs) But you've got to create the pretense and act it out. It's got to be behavioral. You've got to create thought connections so, the neurons start firing in a certain way that will support the remembrance of these kinds of thoughts and the feelings that go along with them, so that this reality gains the power in your psyche to then reorder all of those egons. And because this fragment will be more intelligent, more benevolent, more peaceful than the others, they will soon start to come and say, Hey, you know, I want a piece of that. And they'll surrender and pretty soon you will integrate all of these ego fragments around this core that you're creating. And you'll realize at some point that the core that you thought was just a pretense is actually being filled with divine energy that was already there but had no place to appear in your consciousness. And then you'll realize all along you were an enlightened Buddha. Buddha you were in Christ consciousness, but you could never manifest it consciously. It was always below the threshold of your surface consciousness. Like an oil well that hasn't been tapped. We've tapped too many of those, but let's tap some love wells and divine energy wells. They're there. It's all there. You just have to dig it and let the energy come up. And it will gush, literally. It will fill your heart, it will fill your mind with incredible power. This is not something that only certain special people have the ability to get. Okay, If many are called and few are chosen, it's only because you didn't choose to hear the call and answer it. Not that you were cut out by some god who didn't think you were good enough. No, it's not that. It's you. If you make the choice, you will be chosen. Grace is there for everyone. Do you want it? That's the only question. Do you want it more than you want the suffering you're now pretending to enjoy? It's the only question you have to answer. And if you answer that in the affirmative, and you can give up the pseudo-enjoyments that are actually making a mess of your whole existence, you'll be liberated in no time. So everyone has to ask themselves that question. And the moment you come to a very clear, affirmative answer, your life will change doesn't take a lot of time. This is not hard. The only thing that's hard is to want it. Once you want it, you're you're home free. But you can't want it unless you have an ego fragment that says, yes, I definitely want it. And that fragment then will gradually take over the inner world of all those other negative, paranoid, angry fragments and you will find that gradually you become a peaceful person. You'll be the most amazed of anyone. Okay? Other people will notice that you've changed before you realize it. Because there'll still be some of those fragments that'll be angry and unhappy and you'll have bad days. But most people will see, wow, your frequency level, your vibrational frequency is way higher than it used to be. But you won't notice it until the purification is complete. And then you go, wow, what happened to me? And you realize that you're on a very good drug. (laughs) Uh, And that it doesn't wear off because it's natural and divine as well as supernatural. But this is what we were born to experience. And I hope you'll give yourself the blessing of realizing it in this life.